United Church of Christ presents Why Do You Stand Looking Up at an Empty Sky? A reflection by the Rev. Jean Randall Bodman presented on Sunday, May 24, 2020. I was praying this week for our community, for each of you and for all of us together, as I know many of you do every week, lifting each one by one to the light. And I fell into that deep well of peace and connection that sometimes comes in silent prayer and meditation. And then I widened my prayer. I found myself praying for the world and a long list of its sorrows. The 100,000 Americans dead from COVID-19, the especially hard hit African-American and Native American communities, the people of the South Bronx and the Navajo reservation the millions displaced by the cyclone on the Indian-Bangladeshi border, the farmers of Ethiopia and Somalia, whose fields were lush after a wildly wet rainy season caused by global warming, and are now being invaded and destroyed by wave after wave of locusts. Praying for, as Len so eloquently reminded us during our prayer time last week, all the children in the world who are hungry and living in poverty, the ones still incarcerated at our own southern border, and the ones growing up surrounded by violence with parents who are traumatized. And at some point, my heart and mind were jolted out of that peace and connection and into a feeling of dismay and bewilderment. And from there, it was a small step to anger. And I found myself practically shaking my fists at the sky. What are we to make of all the suffering in the world? How can we make sense of it? Natural disasters, earthquake, fire, and flood, and all the suffering that come in their wake have always been a part of human life, of life on this earth and its natural systems. And in their wake, what is often revealed is humanity pulling together to help and save and serve each other. But what was also revealed and what stirs my anger is the depraved indifference and some of us pulling apart to protect our own, pulling apart to seize the moment for personal gain or to protect their own in-group. How does God allow it? Right now, in the middle of a pandemic, we have a national leader who is more interested in creating division and stoking a simmering cultural war than in helping us survive this illness and thrive through the downturn in the economy. Right now, in the middle of, the, of a pandemic, the structural inequalities that we have created and allowed are revealed. The Black and Native American communities are hardest hit by the disease because their baseline access to jobs and healthcare was always lacking. The service workers that we have suddenly decided are essential are still being paid and treated as if they are in fact expendable. 
what is revealed is the fact that we have created a system more responsive to the needs of capital and corporations than the lives of human beings. So many are suffering from illness, from job loss, and from food insecurity. And all around the edges of that suffering, others are capitalizing on the moment. It felt grievous and overwhelming to me. And one wonders, or anyway, this week I began to wonder again, and not just quietly to myself in my confused heart, but angrily and out loud and demanding, what the hell, God? Where are you? Do you care for us? Have you forgotten us? Are you still here? Were you ever here? Because the troubles people are facing now are, after all, just the most recent, and perhaps far from the worst things that people have ever endured. How on earth do we make sense of a good God and a world of suffering? Here together is the best place to name and acknowledge these fears and hurts and wonderings. Here together is the place to offer each other the solace that we can, the wisdom that we have. Here is where we can share the experiences of God that matter and help us see through. We turn together to listen for the presence of the spirit among and between us, to the wisdom in community, to listen to the wisdom from our tradition. We seek, if not answers, then a pathway forward, carrying our questions, our anger, our wondering, our gratitude and our love, carrying all of it along with us. Today, we heard two accounts of final encounters that Jesus had with his disciples, his closest ones. In the first, the reading from John, we overheard Jesus praying. He's finally done with all of his parting teaching and he pauses and prays for the disciples, the ones that he loves. In that moment, he is not praying for the whole world. He's done that in other places and he'll do it again. But instead, he is holding these particular people, these ones with whom he has worked and traveled, these ones whom he has loved and taught, the ones who followed him and believed him, the ones who found a connection to God in his life and teaching and presence. In this tender prayer, Jesus asked God to guard the true life that had opened up in them because of him. He prayed that God would protect them so that they would stay connected to one another, unified in thinking and in loving, grounded in their connection to the creator. Because Jesus said, I won't be visible on the earth anymore, but they will. In our second reading, we heard an account from the book of Acts, the second volume from the same author who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And it's the last glimpse the disciples had of the earthly crucified and resurrected Jesus, 40 days after the resurrection. Their experience of his real presence with him after the resurrection, and then his absence from them, was as if he had vanished from their sight in a cloud. 
He told them that they wouldn't be getting any inside information about God's timing and God's planning. He also told them that they should expect the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the spirit which would enable them and empower them to spread God's message and to be God's message, not just in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, not just locally, but all over the world. The dis disciples responded about like I suspect many of us would. They stood looking after him, mouths agape, staring at the spot where they last saw the soles of his disappearing feet. It took the sudden appearance of some men in white robes to call their eyes back to earth. What I noticed this week, reading and rereading the passage, was that these men in white robes, these angelic presences, did not say what every other appearance of angelic powers leads us to expect. They didn't say, don't be afraid. Instead, they reminded the disciples where they had come from. Galileans, remember who you are. Remember where you met Jesus first. Remember what he did and taught. And remember what he has called you to do. Stop looking up at an empty sky to find Christ. Look around you. I heard this as a personal response this week. Don't stand looking helplessly at an empty sky. Rail and shake your fists when you need to. Call out to God. Name the pain in the world. Lament for all that is broken and uncertain. Cry out to God for help. And then look for it and expect it. Look for signs of Christ here on the earth. Expect the spirit of love. Look for her continued presence and live out of her power. Look for her in acts of love, acts of justice, and acts of service. A colleague reminded me lately that one of the first things you notice when you study the biblical texts in their original languages is that most often when we read the word you, it should really say y'all. Because it is the plural you. In Hebrew or Greek, it is plural. And the English just doesn't capture that well. The Holy Spirit doesn't come just to sustain us on our individual journeys through life, giving us strength through trials and spirit to share our joys. The spirit does that, but more, the spirit is given to us in community, as community, to bring the world the message of love and sustenance and hope, to participate in that message. The pain of the world is not less real, but it is just one part of reality. The gospel invites us to experience God's presence and to claim the vision of God's mercy and justice. The promise of Easter is that love is stronger than death, that God's loving spirit invites us into real life, a life that has eternal depth and meaning. The promise of ascension is that Jesus's followers, including every one of us, will be able to become witnesses and embodiment of that love in all the earth. 
The promise of both is that despite the pain and suffering in the world, God will be with us. That bound together in unity, the people of God who love God will be empowered to face life, to create meaning in life, and to spread love and hope against all odds. Listen, listen, listen.